Welcome to Real Good Company, a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. We go behind the scenes to get the good, the bad, and the ugly. So you can become a better leader and gain fresh wisdom for both your personal and professional life. I'm your host, Allison Trebridge. And I'm your host, Caitlin Crosby-Benward. And you're in In Real Real Good Company. company. (laughs) (laughs) Miss Kara Campbell, welcome to the show. Well, hello, Allison Trebridge. How are you? It's nice to see you. It's nice to see you. Happy Monday. Happy Monday. It's a Monday here. Kara is one of my quarantine, two quarantine members here in LA. Pod buddies. Yeah. Little pod buds. I know. And she is also one of the people I go to for advice and counsel. And she is a celebrity chef and wellness coach. I just made up your new job title and I really, (laughs) really love it. That's a jazzy job title. I'm going to put that on my business cards now. Celebrity chef and wellness coach. I am those things, actually. But. So she is one of the greatest chefs I know, probably the greatest chef di- chef I know. Um, I had one of my bucket list items was crossed off on Thanksgiving because I got to have her turkey <laughs> on Thanksgiving. Did with it her disappoint and her or did it far come exceeded through. expectations? Oh, there was a salt yes. crust. It was there was incredible. a salt crust. That was good. I was eating the salt crust plain. It was I delicious. I know. So one of the reasons why uh, Caitlin and I are so excited to have Kara on the show with us today is because we're really focusing this month of December on wellness. Mm. And last week with Miles Adcox from Onsite, we talked about mental wellness mm. and what it means to to work on your mental health in order to show up as a leader in your life. And today with Kara, we're going to move to physical wellness. Yes. And thinking about this idea of real good company. I guess there's two parts to this episode. So one one half of it is the physical wellness and how that ties into how we show up for the people in our life, for our work, for our communities, mm. for society as a whole. But then also just this idea of real good company. I think something that you have taught me so much about is how food can power community and bring Mm. people together and be a driver for community. And as we come into the holidays and a time that is so focused on community, Mm. but in a very different kind of year this year, we just have so much to talk about and unpack. We really do. Okay. Absolutely do. So where to begin? Tell, Tell our listeners a little bit more about who you are, what you do, yeah, where where your passion lies. Well, my passion right now lies in the fact that I just got married and I'm with my husband every day and that is very fun. <laughs> Which it was fun to introduce her as Kara Campbell. Kara that Campbell, was the first time new I've last done that. name, everybody. Um, no, that's a great question. So I I love what you just said on, on part two of this episode, how we're going to talk about how food really is this source for community. It's a way to bring people together. And really my career happened because I moved to LA with no plan. And my best friend asked me, if money doesn't matter, what do you do with your life? And I said, Mm. have people over for dinner. And the heart of that statement was having people over and dinner was the vehicle to do that. So I always tell people, I started this dinner party company with the intention of gathering people around the table and and that idea of gathering um, and really connecting and having space to process and talk about who we are and ask hard questions and think about what it looks like, especially in our generation, to physically and emotionally and mentally connect in person. We do so much of it online now, and I think there's something so special that happens when we gather around a table. So that was the beginning of my career. 
was this dinner party company. It has since evolved into different variations of using food as a tool. So now I say that I, I, I love using food as a tool to help heal the body, to help um, bring us back to the body, to help us connect to the body. And I'm a big believer that when we connect to ourselves, we have more capacity to connect to other people. And when we connect to other people, we have capacity to connect to the greater whole, to this idea of what does it look like to live as a global citizen? What does it look like to have purpose in the world and have meaning? And that all, all starts with our connection to ourselves. And food, in my mind, happens to be the greatest vehicle and the greatest tool we have to connect to ourselves. It's something we have to do every day. It can be a ritual. It can be a practice. It can be celebratory. Um, and it can simply be energy and nourishment. But yeah, that is, that is I what I do in the world. thinking about that as a way to connect to yourself because I think, I don't know, there's most of the metaphors we use around food are as fuel mm. or as like it's gasoline for the engine and mm. rather than seeing it as a point of connection. Can you unpack mm. that a little bit? Yeah, I definitely can. So I, I, I like to say that food is absolutely fuel. It is nourishment, right? But beyond just being a physical gasoline that goes into your body, it can also be a meditative practice. It can be a way that you show yourself affection and love in the morning by being really slow and making a beautiful breakfast. And humans are so impacted by beauty. So when we take the time to create something beautiful and then we give that to ourselves mm. every single morning as a gift, we're literally creating this energy around ourselves that is connective. It's life-giving. For me, I, I try, I, it's not every day, but I really do try to see my breakfast as a meditation, mm. right? Like as an active meditation of gifting to myself something nourishing. And in the same way, when you go to grandma's house and she makes you soup and you feel better, yeah. it's there's an energetic exchange happening, right? Because it's made with love and compassion and tenderness. And, and you feel that through the food that you eat. I was actually, I was just reading this book the other day and they were talking about how we are the energy of what we eat, right? So if we eat something that's energetically made with love and compassion, our bodies know that. Like we're energetic mm. beings, so our bodies know that. And if we eat something that's made from stress and anxiety and worry, it, we're impacted by that. Our energy is impacted by that. Wow. And that's Fast food. I, fast food, totally. And that ties into like the way we treat our animals, the way we grow our plants and all of that. So it's a whole other longer, bigger conversation of how we use food. But there are simple things like taking the time to eat a, a really beautiful, slow breakfast that can actually be a point of connection to yourself. Wow. I love that so much because I think I fall into the trap. I really do love cooking and I love mm -hmm. cooking for people and I love using it as a way to serve someone. But I think I will kind of cheat myself because when it's just for me, mm. it's kind of like, well, what's the point? It doesn't need to be beautiful. Mm. It just needs to be fast. It's only worth doing something really excellent and mm. lovely if it's for someone else. And I think especially as we're in a season where our kind of one civic duty is to be in isolation, mm. to still see food and how you approach your meals as, as a communion with yourself yeah. and a a, a form of intentionality, I think is really beautiful. Yeah, I, it is beautiful. And it doesn't, the thing is, sometimes when I talk about this, I'm, I'm concerned that people will be like, that takes so much time or so much effort. The thing is, it can be five minutes. If you eat a bowl mm. of granola and yogurt and you put a pretty strawberry on top <laughs> and you just take the time to notice it, to really yeah. be like, thank you food for nourishing me. And thank you body for taking mm. this in and using it as fuel. And 
doing all the behind the scenes work that our bodies do every day without us even asking them to do that. So it doesn't have to be this, you know, elaborate, like I'm, I'm making myself a seven course dinner and, and pairing it with perfect wines. It can literally be spaghetti, mm. but does it come with that heartbeat and that intentionality behind it as I'm going to use this as a space to really serve myself and love myself well and nourish myself well. Yeah. And going back to this idea of physical wellness, when you blazed past this idea of how did you frame it when you like showing up for yourself physically mm. and then for say, say that all again, say that all again, you went fast. It was I, like the three stages. Oh yeah. So connection to self. Yes. yes. Thank you. So I always see connection. Connection is my highest value in mm. life. Like when I think about the things that matter the most to me, connection is top of the list. And how by, do you define connection? So by connection, I feel like it's, it's layered in the, in the different aspects that I find connection in. Right. So going back to my intention with starting the dinner party company, I wanted to create connection for other people to other people. I wanted to create a space where you and I sit across from the table. We have a conversation. We feel a little more emotionally, physically, and mentally full, right? We feel a little more nourished in all of those areas. But I think going back to my original statement, connection always starts with the self. So I kind of see connection as this triad of connecting to self, connecting to others, and then connecting to the greater whole. And what I mean by that is connecting to yourself, really doing the work to be at home in your body, to love the life that you're in, to choose the life that you're in, to do the work um, in your inner world, to be the healthiest kind of human you can be. You and I talk about this all the time, but the idea of like unwriting the narratives that aren't true. And I'm sure Miles touched on it too, like doing the inner work in our lives to become the most healthy human that we can be. And, and by doing that, we become connected to ourselves by doing little things like making ourselves breakfast. We are asserting the fact that we have a relationship with self. Like I am in a relationship with myself and I am going to be in that relationship for the rest of my life. I am, I am not going away. <laughs> so in order to connect to myself, I need to nourish that relationship, right? Mm. The next part of that triad is connecting to others. So when I am emotionally full, nourished, I have a greater capacity to invite you into my life and to hold space for you to be whoever you want to be and create a space for you to connect to me. You create a space for me to connect to you. So then from this connection to self comes this connection to others where when we are holistically full, then we can connect to others on a holistic level, right? Mm. And then from that, when we have this sense of community and connection and our people and our, our family, our chosen family, we start to see what our greater purpose is in the world. Like our, our relationships bounce off of us like mirrors, kind of our, our greater purpose and what we're meant to do and our calling and all of that. So I kind of see connection as this three-part. In my mind, it's a triangle. Like I can see it drawn out as a triangle. Oh, I love that. They all are necessary and they all feed off of each other, but you yeah. can't have one without the other. It reminds me of one of my favorite kind of frameworks was from Viktor Frankl who wrote mm. Man's Search for Meaning. And Such a good he book. talks about at the time when he was practicing, Freud was his contemporary and mm. Freud said the purpose of life is pleasure mm. and or, or the whole point of life is pleasure. And Frankel said, no, it's meaning. Mm. And the way that a, a human finds meaning is through three things. One is a reason to get up every morning. Mm. Two is a community that loves them unconditionally. Mm. And three is a redemptive view on suffering mm. and kind of how all of those work together. And it just, as you were talking, it made me think of, of those and, and how these like 
connected parts of our life will play off one of Absolutely. one another. Even when you say that, like a redemptive view of suffering, I'm like, that is the, the self-work, right? Yeah. Like, like even looking at our stories and, and changing the, the narrative of the hard parts and viewing right. them as purposeful. And then what was the second one? It was a community, a community. that loves you yep. unconditionally. So being in family, the being chosen in a relationship. Family. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then third, the, the purpose. Why do you get up in the morning? Yeah. 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 How has that played out for you this year mm-hmm. in a time where, I mean, our community of listeners is an entrepreneurial business community. Yeah. And I think entrepreneurs have been one of the harder hit. Um, I mean, so many people have been hit mm. so hard through this year. But I think when you're building your own business, it's already feels so high risk, yeah. high stakes, nerve wracking. It feels so fragile. Mm. And on top of that, to have just, you know, the kind of world as we know it fracture. Mm. How has that been for you as an entrepreneur that really built your career around? Mm. I mean, your company was in-person gatherings and hosting and cooking for people in real life. How have you navigated this? Yeah, that's such a good question. I think, I think you're so right. I think it's been monumentally hard for entrepreneurs, not that any of our hard times are comparative, but just this idea that when you are building something, there is a sense of aloneness that comes with yeah, that, I think. absolutely. And I think that's a, a beautiful part about it too, is, is you build a muscle when you do that. But in terms of my work, it's, you know, I, I feel like this year has been so tragically hard and so tragically beautiful at the same mm-hmm. time. I have a friend who used to say, or our greatest sorrow is known only in contrast to our greatest joy. Mm. And it's this idea that like the harder things are, the greater things can be. And I just see this time metaphorically in my mind as like a um, an expansion of what's hard and what's what's really beautiful and lovely so yeah to answer your question I um I think some of the hard things have been one I feed off of energy of people like I feed Mm -hmm. off of being in a room of humans and really bouncing ideas and having engaging conversation and that's really been stripped away from most of us and so I've done my best to attempt to recreate that in the ways that I can, whether it's on Zoom calls or whether it's on, you know, like our our pod gathering, our little quarantine, but it's not the same. Yeah. And I think I know it's not the same. And I have been through waves of, I'll call it grief around it, but I've also recently, I feel like I've been giving myself a lot of compassion around just not being as productive as I want to be because mm-hmm. it's just harder. I think also in this time, something that has been not hard, but good is the ability to pivot. Like I think that going into this year, I had a lot of events lined up back to back that, you know, like all 48 of them got canceled in 48 hours. It was. Oh yeah. So Caleb and I within 48 hours, both lost literally every single thing we had lined up for the year. Gosh. And it's it's comical, right? Yeah. But again, it goes even back to what Victor Frankl says about- I think that's a book title, 48 and 48. 48 and 48. <laughs> but even that phrase of like, reframing your suffering. I think that we could look at this time and be like, woe is us. This sucks. Everything is terrible. And have this perspective of everything being taken away. I think right when that happened, he and I both, I think knock on wood, have done enough mental gymnastics to say like, what is possible with this? Instead of like, what's happening to us? What is possible? That doesn't take away the hardness. That doesn't take away the the pain of of losing all these, you know, perspective work things and gigs. But I think when I ask that question and when I sit still with that question, especially in the beginning of quarantine, it really allowed me to pivot 
my business to where I actually want it to go. Mm. And I think, I don't know if this is true, but in friendship with most entrepreneurs that I'm friends with, I've really heard that similar theme kind of flow through. Like it was a pause button to ask, am I doing what I really want to be doing? Mm. And if I'm not, how do I pivot? Yeah. And then too, I think in terms of what's been hard, I, you know, I think I have been asking if this keeps going as it's going, how do we set up ways and forms of connection that are going to fuel us and fill us that aren't there yet? So I'm Mm -hmm. like, I'm like, what is the new question to be asking? Because the family dinners, the events, the parties, the concerts, the gatherings that really do fuel so many of us, the holiday gatherings of even Thanksgiving this year was so different. And I felt the sadness of that. I felt the grief of it. And I also felt the grief in the sense that like those things are actually really healthy for our bodies and they create immunity in us and they, they create the ability to fight disease when we, when we're in gathering. And so just kind of looking at this whole picture and, and asking this question, if this keeps going, if things don't go back to normal, what are systems or structures or practices that we can do to create some semblance of connection and groundedness in our lives? Yeah, Because I think all these things that so many of us have felt very comforted by, and I'll, I'll use this as an example. Caleb is, he's a gym goer. He loves the gym, this right? This is her husband. This is my husband. He's a gym goer. And it's his- He's also a former like NFL star. True. So. <laughs> former pro athlete. Yeah. <laughs> but that's his place of refuge and safety and connection. Like he doesn't need to know anybody in the gym, but he'll say hi to everybody and he'll strike up. Mm-hmm. He's an introvert, but at the gym, he will strike up conversations. He will chit chat with everybody. And that being taken away this season has done monumental mm-hmm. damage to him. Wow. You know, it's exacerbated the feeling of loneliness. It's exacerbated the feeling of introvertedness and the inability to like, actually have connection. And so my my question right now is like if this keeps going, how do we pivot as a as a human race to to still have those forms of connection if we have to be physically separate? And the truth is I don't yeah. know if we can, but that's Well, what I'm I I mean I think you underscore an important point even talking about Thanksgiving. I mm. I think I've often try I always try and be this optimist and always see the best and what's mm. the potential outcome and what's the I I posted a funny meme recently that was like it had these like two vintage characters and one of them said like I'm using quarantine to better myself or I'm using this year to better myself and the other one said I'm eating carrot cake with my hands and I'm like it's we kind of hold those things in tension it's like yes there's opportunity and I think one of the things I've had to learn how to do is just acknowledge what's hard Mm -hmm. and acknowledge what's lost Mm -hmm. and acknowledge where we're struggling and and even just the the loss of not being with family. This was mm-hmm. the first time I've ever not been with my family on mm-hmm. Thanksgiving. And giving space to grieve those losses that really are so important for the structures in our life. And I, I don't yeah. think we'll be here for forever. And I think every generation has gone through seasons of hard things, mm-hmm. whether it's, you know, more much more dramatic circumstances than ours, like going through a war or I mean, recessions or anything, but this is, you know, this is something hard that's been dealt to us and it will yeah. impact us. And I think it's, it's okay to hold those things in tension. Yeah, absolutely. I think too, what you just said, I, I feel like it's worth like pounding in that pain is pain and yeah. suffering is suffering. There's no comparison in any kind of pain. There's no, it's harder for her and not as hard for me. It's what we suffer is what we suffer. Right. And I think it's so important what you said to really make space to grieve what's hard. We don't want to spiritually bypass this time. We don't want to like jump over. 
Because I think in the beginning, you probably felt a little bit of this. Everyone was like, what's possible? What can we do? What can we create? Which is awesome energy. But I think in in conjunction with that, we really do need space to be like, no, this is really, really hard. Yeah. It's just really hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We were talking before, um, before we turned on the mics just around just, I think, a theme that's really present for a lot of people, which is just anxiety mm. and Mm-hmm. And the the kind of different types of anxiety that this season brings up. And I'm wondering if you could share a little bit about yeah. kind of how you're thinking about that and yeah. processing the anxiety that arises and how you even feel that and manage yeah. that in your body. Yeah, definitely. Anxiety is really mean. It's so mean. <laughs> it's like the monster of the season, though. I think he's he's around. We'll call him Frank. Anxiety can be Frank for today. <laughs> so I, I feel like anxiety... Is, is the body's way of telling us that something is off, right? Mm. Like it's the body's way of communicating something to us. And then we have to do the mental work to figure out like, what are you trying to say? I think in this time, probably the majority of the human population is feeling anxiety. It's yeah. so common. And it's it's because we're really afraid of what's happening and we don't know. And there's a ton of unknown. And so our bodies are, you know, they're jumping into fight or flight and they're they're showing us anxiety because they're asking for answers. And we don't have the answers. So I think just to to lay out the foundation that it's absolutely normal and mm. probably uh, expected to have anxiety during this time. I, I shared this on my Instagram a, a couple of weeks ago, but what's really interesting to me about the body is that the human body has all of the self-repair systems it needs to heal itself. So when you get a cold, your body knows how to fight that cold. If the energy of the body gets directed towards something else and, and it takes it away from your immunity it's not going to fight the cold in the same way, right? So something that we know to be true about the body is that when you go into fight or flight, all of your body repair systems turn off because Mm. all of the energy is now focused on running away from the lion 100,000 years ago or whatever it was, you know? (laughs) The saber-toothed tiger. 100,000 years ago? A million? I don't know how many years ago. Saber-toothed tiger, yes. Running away from the animal that's chasing you. So your immunity goes off the moment you go into fight or flight. Wow. And what's interesting about this time is that's that- That's why we get sick when we're stressed. Yep. So cool. Absolutely. And why our bodies can't fight off that sickness if we stay stressed. Wow. So what I've been really thinking about during this time and, and as we like go even more into the unknown and, you know, we just, we've had a crazy year is that our bodies without us choosing are constantly having to go into fight or flight because we're afraid. And the things we see in media and the things we hear, you know, just shouted on the on the rooftops about everything's going downhill or whatever it is, cause our body subconsciously just to jump into fight or flight into protection mode. Mm. When that happens, our immunity goes off. So we are much more susceptible to something like a virus. We're much more susceptible to something like a flu or whatever it might be because our bodies aren't fighting in the same way. So I think laying that out and understanding that like it's very important as much as we, you know, as much as it can become woo-woo to talk about like self-care and and meditation and things like that, it is crucial at this time. Mm. It's crucial to get your body to a state of homeostasis and safety as often as you can. And that can be through very small practices. That can be through meditation. It can be through things like having your meditative breakfast and serving yourself well. It can be through a conversation that's really life-giving with a friend. I, I know when I jump on the phone with friends, it's I'm so tempted to vent about this time and <laughs> process all the things that are hard. But sometimes just having that conversation that, you know, brings you a sense of calm. Other things like taking a bath or something that's just going to calm down your nervous system and remind you that you're safe 
I have like little mantras that I read to myself every morning about mm. about my own life and 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 the things that I believe about my own life. Even if I'm physically not believing them. I love that. Or mentally not believing them, I still choose to read them to myself. I love that. Yeah, that was a practice. This is a quick tangent, but it, you know, it really taps into the power of our thinking is when I was in my early 20s, I was uh, recovering from a gnarly eating disorder and I was seeing a therapist and mm. he he was like, you don't think you're beautiful. And I was like, no, I don't think I'm beautiful at all. And he was mm. like, we're going to fix that. And so he made me every single day go look in the mirror and stand in front of the mirror in the morning and say, I am beautiful. I am beautiful. I am beautiful. Three times. And it was, <laughs> I was so mad. I was like, this is ridiculous. And then I started doing it. I think I was like 21 and I started doing it. And I kid you not, Allie, within like six months, my mind changed. Wow. My, my actual thinking changed what I believed. Right. Wow. And so I think like sometimes even simple things like mantras, they might sound silly, but when we do those things over and over again, we get our body to agree with what we're thinking. And there's so much research about the, the power of the mind and the power yeah. of the mind is, is what's going to shift everything for us. But I think having these little, little ways of combating anxiety, not trying to get rid of it, you know, almost yeah. welcoming, welcoming it at the door and being like, hey, Frank, what are you here to tell me? What do you, right. what do you want oh, to say? Oh, you're back. Oh, you're back. You okay. have something to say. You can tell me and then I'm going to tell you the truth, you know, and mm -hmm. having this, this ability to not fight Frank, but say like, actually, you're wrong. Correct, Frank. Correct. Correct. <laughs> correct. But having this conversation with your anxiety and, and talking it out and allowing space for the anxiety to speak because the worst thing we can do is try to suffocate it and be like, mm -hmm. it's fine, it's fine, it's fine, right? Like yeah, that's that's right. the worst thing we can do because it will come out sideways. Yeah. Anything we don't process comes out sideways. So allowing space for it, but but also making practices in our life that really, they calm Frank down. Yeah, I think even realizing like the physical spaces we put ourselves in, mm -hmm. like when I'm going for a walk or just like going about my day, I don't usually feel anxiety. But Elizabeth Gilbert, the incredible writer, did a post recently where she talked about how she's not allowed to do horizontal thinking. Mm, and that's good. it just <laughs> nailed it for me because the because when my mind spins out is yeah. when I'm laying in bed at night trying to fall asleep. Yeah. And then it's like everything starts falling apart. Yeah. And I can't do anything about it because yeah. I am stuck in bed. And everything in me wants to jump up and start. I don't even know what I would do to fix everything that's falling apart in my mind. Yeah. And and then I feel like, oh, no, but then I'm not going to get any sleep. And tomorrow is going to be a lost day. And now I'm wide awake. And it's yeah. just it just starts spinning. I woke up at 4 a.m. this morning mm -hmm. and just couldn't turn my brain off. Yeah. And so, I mean, that's a hard time to not do horizontal yeah. thinking. Because you're, <laughs> you're like, let me stand up for a second. Um, but Elizabeth Gilbert's mantra for herself is that she's not allowed to she's really only allowed to be in bed if she's she says if she is sleeping or making out. That's mm. how she puts it. But which is <laughs> good really qualifiers. Yeah. yeah. But it, she's not allowed to lay in bed and think. Yeah. And it's just I was like, gosh, what a great accountability is yeah. to figure out. I think for other people, it could be a different trigger. But mm. what is that space for you that starts the spiral and how do you nip it in the bud before it happens? Yeah. Because I think as you articulated, that initial feeling is our body telling us something mm -hmm. and it's something to pay attention to. And I think when we're healthy and grounded, we can talk back to ourselves mm -hmm. and 
and even encourage ourselves and be like, I, you know, I understand why you think the house is burning, Frank, but actually it's not. Yeah. And we're going to be okay. Yeah. And you need to leave, you Absolutely. know, and, and kind of talk yourself down. And I think the physical spaces that we're in can yeah. play a part in that. Absolutely. And I think what I love that from Elizabeth Gilbert, because I think it points to this truth that when we flow, that's when all the un undealt with stuff surfaces, right? So mm. even during this time, you know, I think all of us have gotten collectively slower than we're used to being. Wow. Yeah. And collectively, all of our stuff is rising to the surface because we have space and time. It's the same when you're laying, laying in bed, there's nothing else to do, right? right? Like, of course, all of your anxiety can rise in bed because there's nothing else to do to distract yourself yeah. with. And so I think just even noting that and recognizing like, that's okay. It's really mm. okay that all the stuff is coming up. Again, the worst thing we can do is like shove it down. But having that healthy conversation with Frank is, is kind of the best way to go about it, to sit down with him and say, I understand that we feel this I way. Hear you. I hear you. Mm -hmm. I validate your feelings. <laughs> is it true? Maybe not. Mm. Maybe not. What is that? Can, can you share that Byron Katie mm. quote? That yeah. Is it true? Is it absolutely true? Yeah, it's, um, it's not a quote. It's actually called, she's, she calls it the work. Okay. And it's a four-part question that you ask yourself anytime you have a thought that feels negative, right? So the questions are, one, is it true? Two, is it absolutely true? Three, how do I feel when I believe this? And four, who would I be if I believed the opposite or I believed something different? Mm, so say play, those one more time. Say those one more time. Do you, want me so to, good. do you want me to say them out and play them out? Yeah. Okay. So first question, let's use a real-life example. I don't have enough money, right? Mm. So... Actually, let's use a different one. Nobody will ever love me, hmm. right? Nobody will ever love me. Is it true? Well, I feel like it's true. I, I feel unloved. I feel like no one has ever loved me. I feel like I don't have any friends and nobody's ever choosing me. Two, is it absolutely true? So then you have to dig in there. <laughs> is it absolutely true? Well, no, Allie really loves me. I do. And there's endless hope of meeting someone one day that will love me. Mm. And my parents really love me, even though they drive me crazy. And, you know, you, you play it out. Is it yeah. absolutely true? Yeah. Three, how do I feel when I believe this? Mm. So how do I feel when I believe that nobody will ever love me? Uh, I feel terrible. I feel depressed. I feel like I don't want to wake up in the morning. I feel alone. I feel scared. I feel horrible, right? Yeah. And then four, who would I be if I believed the opposite or if I believed that not to be true. So who would I be if I believed that I am really loved? I am fully accepted and loved as I am. I would be free. I would be confident. I would be excited about my life. I would be showing up differently. So her work is really amazing because it, it asks you to kind of dig into, again, the false narratives that we believe about our lives that we can prove a case for, right? Like, we're going to see evidence of what we already believe. So if I believe that I'm not loved, I'm going to look for evidence in the world that I'm not loved. And then I'm going to tell you all the scenarios of who doesn't love me and why they don't love me. But if I believe the opposite, if I believe that I'm really loved, I'm going to tell you all of the situations in which I'm loved. And I'm going to mm -hmm. look for that evidence from the universe. So her work is powerful because it, it asks you to do the mental gymnastics around the things that you consciously or subconsciously so many of us have them subconsciously believe mm. yeah so good yeah her work is powerful her book is so good too it's called loving what is i love that loving what is by byron katie what are other books that have been really just shaping your thinking through this season uh, wow that is good i've had more time to read so that's been a major benefit that. 
Um, I am reading right now a book called Belonging. It's by a woman named Topo Ka, I believe. And it is remarkable. I told you this before we were recording, Ali, but it is, I read a lot and I think it is perhaps my favorite book in the past 10 years. Whoa. It is beyond. Wait, okay. I need it's to read so this. It's so intense that I can only read a chapter at a time and then I have to go and I, it's like eating the most immaculate meal where you have to go and you have to let your body digest it. It's no so way. much and it's beautiful. What else have I been reading? I read Mary Magdalene Revealed. Ooh. Did you read that one yet? No, I heard good things. I think I heard good things from you. Actually. Yeah, probably. <laughs> that one was another one where, again, it's unpacking paradigms that we've believed for so long and, and huh. things that have been taught to me to be true and just asking really hard questions like, is this true? I think that's a theme right now. That is it is, absolutely is true? Is it absolutely true <laughs> running through my life? Yeah, so those are a couple. I love that. So you talked a little bit earlier about just finding connectedness through this time. And as we are coming into Christmas and, you know, it's, it's a season that is full of so much joy and celebration. And culturally, I think we lose sight of the fact that it can also be one of the loneliest times mm -hmm. in the year. Mm -hmm. It can be a season where people feel the most isolated, the most disconnected. Um, I think the heaviness of anything that we feel is maybe not even misaligned, but like any griefs in our lives mm -hmm. become amplified yeah. during the holidays. Um, I would just love any thoughts that you have for our listeners around ways to find connection mm. through either times of loneliness, isolation, yeah. just this kind of unique holiday season that yeah. we find ourselves in. Yeah, that's such a, a good point and question. And it's such a hard one. <laughs> I, I don't know that I have any great answers, but I'll offer what, I, what mm. I am thinking about. I think that we what we don't want to do when it comes to a holiday is lose the sense of celebration, right? Mm. Like I know that we need to be really careful and we need, we're, we're trying as best as we can as a human population to be mindful of what it looks like to live in this time and separate from one another. But I think that keeping celebration alive, whatever that looks like for you, is so important. Mm. So getting the Christmas tree, even if nobody's ever going to see it, yep. hanging the Christmas lights, yep. putting on the Christmas doing all music, of it. Yep. Yep. Doing, the, doing the rituals, even yeah. if the people aren't there. Um, yeah. It's I like know, making a beautiful breakfast just for just one. Just for you. Yeah. 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 And, and again, we are in Western society, especially American culture, we're pretty disconnected from ritual. But these mm. holidays serve as rituals for us, right? Like wow. the cooking the Christmas cookies with your mom and then the making the apple cider so at, at your Christmas party with the bourbon in it. And all of these things, they're small, but they're, they're ritualistic. And that's why yeah. they that's why they generate so much meaning for us is humans are made to be ritualistic. We're made to mm. like, we, we operate under the sun, you know, we operate under the stars and the sun and the moon. We're, we're, we are systematic and rhythmic and ritualistic creatures. So I think keeping those little things that you do every year, regardless of who's there are really important to mm. one, staying connected to yourself. And then two, finding, finding the reason to celebrate. I think during this time, what I what I've been like encouraging a couple of friends and clients to do is keep a gratitude journal. Mm. This is the easiest time in the world to find the things that are not good. I think you said this, but holidays and especially Christmas, because it's such a massive one in our country, they amplify what already is. So mm. if we feel lonely, they're going to ampl amplify loneliness. If, if we feel excited and joyful, they're going to amplify that. And both can happen simultaneously for someone. So right. I think 
keeping a gratitude journal during this time and every day just finding maybe at the end of the day, finding five to 10 things that you're like so grateful for. It could literally be the sound of the crunching leaves when you walked out of your house this morning. Small things that just are going to remind you to stay uh, present and in the moment and grateful for what is happening. And and it changes your lens too to see what is what is good as opposed to what's, you know, what's not there. Mm. I think too, um, if there's a way like, I'm trying to figure this out with my own family. If there's a way to create some kind of connective celebration, even over Zoom, even if it's a a secret Santa, like long distance and you're sending (laughs) each other presents, if there's a way to do, and maybe it's not with family, maybe, maybe you don't have family, but maybe there's, there's friends that are, you know, chosen family that you can do that with. I've seen a few people do like, you know, the, the drop by with the Christmas cookies and, and things like that. And I think one other thing, I'm talking a lot, I'm giving a lot of advice. You're the one being interviewed. <laughs> <laughs> but one other thing that I think would be really key in this season is, I know for me, I'm speaking to myself, I'm preaching to the choir. I know for me, in a season like this, it's very, because we are more isolated, and we have more time, a lot of us have more time to think and to let that anxiety creep up. It's easy to think about ourselves. I've been really inspired recently by watching people just jump on the serving train. Like yeah. how can I show up at a Trader Joe's and buy a bunch of groceries for my neighbor who maybe can't afford groceries this this week or month or whatever, or finding ways to serve other people. Mm-hmm. And it's harder. I know that during holiday season, a lot of times that's done in like soup kitchens and 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 whatnot, but there's still ways to do that. And I think if we can take our focus off of maybe what's what's not good for ourselves and just figure out how can we make something good for somebody else that's going to shift our sense of connection and and offer a sense of purpose and meaning so true yeah so 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 well said yeah well i'm also very excited quick plug is that on copper in our copper book club kara is going to be interviewed on the art of gathering in yes, a few I weeks am. i think that's december 13th maybe yeah the 13th yes so probably mm-hmm. in a few days after this airs so if you want more of this angel happening on copper we're so grateful for you where can our listeners find more of you well you can find me on the interwebs at my website which is by on instagram it's at by and then youtube is just uh, youtube.com slash i love it yeah Good. Thanks so much for being here, Kara. This was incredible. You bet. Love you. Love you too. Thank you for joining this episode of Real Good Company, a show about real people building good companies that make a big impact. Music from this episode is probably from one of my old demos. We hope you like it. (laughs) And Megan Schwindling is our producer. Thanks for joining and always remember to stay in real good company.